Today, I'm going to continue on in the series, uh, the sermon series called Rest, or Strength for the Journey. It's about life. How do you make it through life in a healthy fashion, in a good way, with Jesus? Well, I've got several sermons that keep perspective right and hearts in the right place uh, to make things happen in the best way. And today, I want to talk to you about being rescued on the journey. Have you ever noticed that it seems like when someone hands you the keys, a ring full of keys, and you have to go to a certain shed that you're not familiar with, that quite often, the key that works as you go through all those is the very last one. What? It seems like that always happens to me. Maybe I need patience and the Lord, uh, you know, wants to show me that, uh, <clears throat> you know, to hang in there. But sometimes uh, life is like that a little bit where we want God to give us the key to our circumstances or our situation and we want him to move and open that door right now. But he doesn't always open it with the first key. He doesn't always open it, open that door at a moment that we would like it to be open. But what God wants us to know is that he will open that, he'll give us the key in our circumstances at just the right time. I like the saying, he may not always be there when you want him, but he always comes through at just the right time. That means that sometimes we want him to follow our timing, but he has purpose. Uh, he, he has a vision for something that he wants to do that's beyond our understanding often. We're gonna look at the story of Joseph today and find out that there's some really difficult things he had to navigate and he couldn't seem to find the door to blessing and success, but all along God was in it and God's timing was in it. And that's true for our lives. So as you think of the circumstances of your life, think of this verse in Psalm 40, verse one. Look at it on the screen. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord. Now this is someone who's in circumstances where they want to, to be rescued. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of destruction, out of the sticky mud. <clears throat> he stood me on a rock and made my feet steady. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many people will see this and worship him. Then they will trust the Lord. Let's pray. Father, you want us to know that in times of trial, you are there. In the difficult circumstances of life, you are working. And you want us to know that you're for us, you have our welfare and, and the blessing of others in your mind. So God, would you help us to navigate this thing called life, this journey called life, in such a way that we'd realize that even in the difficult times you're there over and over again, and we thank you for that. Amen. So three things about being rescued today. The first is the big rescue. God rescues us. He rescues our lives by giving us purpose, meaning, and peace. Now this is, this is salvation. And, and by the way, guys, I want a little help. I can't quite see their eyes, so I, want, I need the house lights to come up just a bit. Can anybody help me with that? If, if not, then I will speak to the darkness. I'm going to speak to the darkness, evidently. God rescues our lives by giving us purpose, meaning, and peace. Salvation. Uh, it says in Colossians 1, verse 13, for he has rescued us, there's the word rescue, from the kingdom of darkness and transfer, transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. So the big rescue comes when we realize that we need to give our lives to Jesus Christ. When we open our hearts and say, Jesus, come in, because this is what the Bible tells us, that God loved us so much that he gave his one and only son to die for our sins. 
So that's an invitation to us, but it doesn't really happen. We're not saved until we say, Jesus, I want you. Jesus, come into my heart. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Let there be light and there is light. <laughs> and that's what happens when we get saved. The light goes on. And we can see, as a matter of fact, look at, look at this life of Mickey Rooney. Anybody know who Mickey Rooney is? Raise your hand if you know who Mickey Rooney is. At one time, the biggest box office draw in a 15-year period in America. He did films with Judy Garland and uh, was involved in some Andy Hardy films and was the biggest draw in Hollywood for, for uh, a 15-year uh, period. Less, less well-known about his army stint where he traveled and performed for the troops behind enemy lines. He got a bronze star from General Eisenhower. But this guy had a rough life. I mean, it wasn't all as good as it might seem to be the biggest star in Hollywood. I'm speaking about his life, by the way, because he died this week. <clears throat> and uh, in passing, I think it's good to reflect a little bit. So here's some, some things you may not have known about Mickey um, Rooney. In between, um, in the hard times in life, he was married eight times. He had a drinking problem, an alcoholic, and he couldn't quite break it for a long season in his life. He was addicted to pills, and um, gambling cost him all of his fortune that he earned through the movies, so he was broke by the end of his life. With everything that happened with him and to him and in his life, here's a quote from Mickey Rooney. He said, all the muddy waters of my life cleared up when I gave myself to Christ. So he came to Jesus near the end of his life. And all the trouble he'd had in all those marriages and all the, the sins that he'd committed and, and all the weaknesses, the, the, the way, the purpose, the meaning of life all cleared up for him. And when we get saved, when we're rescued on this journey, we get to see things in a light that's different than ever before. It's almost like we prepared that for the illustration this morning. The light's going on, but we didn't. Maybe the Lord orchestrated that. Uh, 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 I'm giving those guys a break, so, so God was in it, all right? But let's look at a life of a person today to, to, to talk about being rescued on the journey. The life of Joseph. We see that Joseph was loved by his father in a great way. Did you know you're loved by your father? I'm talking about being rescued. I'm talking about the way he feels about you. I'm talking about your purpose in life. You have a father who knows you, loves you, and has given you a specific purpose in life. In the life of Joseph, we see that his dad loved him. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and they could not speak a kind word to him. So as we look at Joseph and we see that he was chosen and, and he was favored by his father, I just want to bring, bring a, a unique thought out of that to you. Did you know that you're chosen and you're favored by your heavenly father. Often you do not think of yourself this way, but you are chosen. That's hard for some people to say they've had such a rough life, but, but God says, I chose you. In 1 Peter 2, 9, it says this, but you are not like that for you are chosen. You could insert your name in there, by the way. It's not just as a group, it's as an individual. You are chosen. A chosen people, you're a royal, you are royal priests, a holy nation. So you're chosen, and you're a royal priest. That's the way. If God had a, re, a refrigerator, your picture would be on it, all right? He loves you. He has a heart that's towards you. He has a plan and a purpose for his life. He had plan and purpose for the life of Joseph. 
and Joseph had favor with his father, but with our heavenly father, we have favor. And it says this, as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. I like the way the New Living Translation reads for Ephesians 2.10. It says this, for we are God's masterpiece. Do you think of yourself as God's masterpiece? Well, you are. You're his handiwork. Did you know God doesn't make any junk? Everything he, he, when, when he creates, he does a good job. He did a good job with you. Now, I know that there are people who come along and tell you you're worthless, and I know that the enemy whispers in your ear, and, and I know that life can be rough, but that's the point of salvation. We're saved not only for eternity. A place called hell would be our dwelling place if, if, we, if we choose to reject the, the loving grace of Jesus Christ, but a place called heaven is our home when we surrender. But coming with that is purpose, meaning, and peace in life. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what I'm created for. And it goes on to say in that verse, he's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things that he planned for us long ago. He has a unique plan for you, and it's wonderful. It's awesome. And so when you surrender to him, when you come to him, you're rescued. But you're not only rescued for eternity, you're rescued in, in the sense that you now have purpose and you're not just wandering aimlessly through life and he's promised that he's gonna do something great through you as you trust him. Second thought, and this is a great one for believers. If you're gonna be on this journey called life and you don't get this, you're gonna hurt more than God wants you to. All through life, God rescues us again and again. There's this thought that comes out of some circles in Christianity that kind of goes like this. If you will do the right thing, and if you'll serve God and live a, a pure and a holy life, you'll be blessed. Some of them even say you'll get lots of money. I don't see that in the Bible, but I can see that blessing comes, and sometimes it's money. But they, they say that if you do right, then you won't have trouble. All I can say is, do they read all of the Bible? The people who say, are they really reading it all? I mean, look at the life of Joseph, who knew no sin. Now, I believe that you're covered and blessed to a greater degree as you follow the Lord, but to somehow think that if I do right, I'm not gonna have trouble in life, it's gonna bring depression to you if you hold on to that. Because God never said that you wouldn't have trouble in this life. Jesus said in John, uh, in, in this life, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. So Jesus said there is trouble in this life. The life of Joseph, the life of Moses, the life of David, the, the life of Ruth, the life of Esther. There was trouble, stress, heartache everywhere with, as they went through life. And yet these are the heroes of, of faith. Why? Because in the midst of the trial, they grew, they held on to God, and God did something glorious through their lives. So here's, here's what I want you to hold on to. Not only were you rescued once for all, but you, you're going to be rescued again and again and again. Meaning that you'll find yourself in a difficult circumstance that sometimes it's God's will. But you won't be the same if you're going through that circumstance realizing, hey, he has purpose. Hey, he's a good God. Hey, he will rescue me. I have his promises. I may be going through a trial, but I have his promises. That's the attitude to hang on to. Pastor Roger, his, I, I call it his signature. You know, when he says God is good, you guys say all the time. This is what he's talking about. That's what you mean if you understand this. All the time, even in the midst of the trials, he's there and we know that he's bringing something good about us. We trust him and we follow him. Look at the life of Joseph, verse five of chapter 37 in Genesis. Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. 
And this started a chain of difficult trials in his life. Right now they start. God, in, in his will, allowed those brothers, they talked about killing him, but instead they, they decided, let's just sell him into slavery. That's a pretty rough start as a teenager in your life. Your family sells you into slavery. We saw one young lady who had that happen, remember new, right, who stood here before us talking about her grandmother selling her into sex trafficking. And yet God brought something beautiful out of her life. This young man is sold into slavery, but in the end, something beautiful was going to come out of this. He ends up being sold a second time to Potiphar, who's an official in Pharaoh's court in Egypt. God gave Joseph favor in Potiphar's house, and here's what it says in verse 2, chapter 39 of Genesis. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. I want you to notice something about the life of Joseph, please. As he faces trial upon trial and hard spot after hard spot, continually it says, and the Lord was with him, and the Lord prospered him, and the Lord gave him favor. Now wait, wait, that's messing with our heads because we think when we get favor, we don't have trouble. In the midst of the trial, which was God's will for him, the Lord gave him favor and success and prospered him. We go through trials and we still have success and favor there. Let me give you an example. Your mom is divorced from your dad. And he wasn't good to her. And he claimed to know Jesus, but he left her and went after another woman. And it not only broke her heart, but it broke her faith. And she can't believe anymore that God is with her or for her. She can't believe this Christian stuff. And it hurts your heart to see it. But you married a good man. And you've had troubles and trials in life and in your marriage and your mom is watching you overcome love one another bless one another she's watching his tenderness in the trial she's watching the difficulty that she went through that broke her marriage that's making your marriage stronger sometimes when you're in a trial you are the best witness you can be because of the way you trust in God the way you hold on to God and he's seen more through our trials than he is through our successes have you ever had someone say to you or heard them say it to another person, how do you do this when you're going through all this difficulty? Well, that's, that's the ticket to witness right there, isn't it, about Jesus that makes the difference. And Joseph now finds himself in, in this house where he's a slave, but still the favor of the Lord is on him and he prospers. Just when things are going well and Potiphar trusts him completely and God's blessing everything in Potiphar's house because Joseph is managing it and the favor of God's on him, Joseph's wife, I'm sorry, Potiphar's wife tries to have sex with Joseph. Joseph will have nothing of it. He runs out of his coat. These coats keep getting him in trouble all, all through this passage, man. And, and she gets so upset that she accuses him essentially of raping her, try, attempted rape. She tells her husband, her husband gets upset, and they throw him in prison. And this is a man of God who's done nothing but good. Wow. Now, let me ask you a question. If you knew a Christian, let's say you knew them personally, and they were accused of rape, and they went to court, and you saw it on TV, and he was convicted, and he was thrown in jail, would you have a tendency to believe that the courts were right? I would venture to say most of us would believe it. Say, wow, I didn't know that, but it might not be true. In this case, it wasn't true at all. Not only did he 
have to deal with the lie. Not only have to deal with the loss of favor in that house and have to deal with prison, but he had to deal with the shame and the scorn of everybody believing that he tried to sexually attack a woman when he didn't. Be careful what you believe. He's hurting. It's unbelievable that, that pain upon pain is coming to him. It says in verse 20 that Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And now he's in jail. But look at this. Here it is again. In prison, the Lord once again blesses Joseph with favor. Verse 20, but while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness. He granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Wow. Since he'd done nothing wrong, since he was righteous, since he was hanging on to God, since he was believing God, had something in store for him, even though all these things were happening, the favor of, the, of God stayed on him because his hand stayed in the hand of God. You can face trials and have unbelievable favor upon your life. You can face hardship where others say, he must have done something wrong, like they said about Joseph. Well, she must not be following God right. You can be following God right and have a tremendous trial happen because God has purpose in it beyond. And that's the thought you have to hold on to. If I'm in this trial and I don't understand it, I have to have enough faith to believe that God's still in control, that he knows where I'm at, that he's loved me and he's, he loves me and he's good all the time. I have to believe that he's allowing it for some purpose beyond what I understand, but it's for his glory. Let me give you a little example here. The life of Jesus Christ. He came for a specific purpose. What was that purpose? He came to die for our sins. He came to shed his blood willfully and deliberately upon a cross. The trial was so great that he prayed, Father, let this cup pass from me if it's at all possible. But he wanted to do the will of the Father and he took the hardship, the pain, the trial, the, 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 the demeaning uh, act of going up on that cross. He took it all upon himself and he died for the sins of the world. And then the Bible says to us, this to us, I'm talking about this easy believism thing that enters America. I'm talking about this prosperity doctrine. I know God prospers, but it's not about our prospering. It's about his prospering. It's about his love and coming forward and his glory being known. That is the main purpose of life, not about me being comfortable. How do I know that? Because the Bible says that God wants us to take up our cross daily. Well, what's that mean? The cross isn't really like, hey, fun times. The cross is about enduring hardship for the benefit of others. And I'm just telling you that sometimes when you face a trial and when you're living right and when you're loving God, that God has in mind that you endure something for a season so that his glory might be made known to others. That the way you would trust him and the place he would bring you to would cause people to know that God is real and he loves not only them, but he loves others. The Lord was with him. God had... God's favor was on him. Verse 22, the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. And the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. There it is again. That's crazy. Come on. There's a prisoner that's so good you're gonna open the cell as the warden. You're gonna let him be in charge of all the keys and all the prisoners and all the feeding and you're gonna go have lunch and not worry as the warden. That's crazy. The favor of God was on him so much, the integrity was so intact, 
Success was happening to everything he put his hands to. Why? Because in the midst of prison, that sense that he didn't deserve that injustice, he kept his heart right towards God. He didn't say, God, you stink. God, you don't love me. God, where are you? We never see him blaming God. Never. We see, do we see Joseph doing that? He had this excellent spirit that thought, well, I don't get it, but I know he's good, and I haven't done anything wrong. I'm going to trust him. He's up to something. I believe that was in Joseph's heart. Now, this will help you in this journey of life if you realize that not every trial that comes your way is because God doesn't like you. The enemy will just say, oh, God doesn't love me as much and those people are blessed and look, everybody on Facebook is as happy as they can be, you know, and I'm not. And stop, he's good, he loves you. Trust him through the trial and watch him work. He's amazing. Well, he kept trusting, kept having faith in God and more trouble came his way. He would do good and trouble would come his way. More trouble came because the people he helped forgot him. Do you remember the, the baker and the cupbearer? They'd been thrown in prison by Pharaoh because they didn't do a, a very good job, uh, at, uh, according to the king. And uh, they had dreams, and they asked Joseph to interpret them. And so Joseph, by the power of God, with a manifestation of the Spirit, reveals dreams. And by the way, we believe that the manifestations of the Spirit still work today. We believe that the wisdom that Joseph had is the wisdom that comes from God. You'll see that in a moment. And we believe that you don't have to be rich or affluent to have the wisdom of God working and the power of the Spirit and the manifestations working because here's a guy in prison and the manifestations are working greater than anyone else around him. Man, when there's, when there's a person who trusts him in hard times, you don't have to have money. You don't have to have things to get favor with God. He had none of that. But God was on him. God was in him and he interprets these dreams. And in the dream, he says uh, to the baker, uh, sorry, you're toast, you're gonna be hanged. And he says uh, to the cupbearer, hey, you're gonna be delivered and you're gonna be restored and everything will be good. And then he says this in verse 14 of chapter 40. Joseph says to the cupbearer, but when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of prison. Because he was in there unjustly, right? I mean, he's not like enjoying it in there. He's just trusting God in there. So it happened just as he said. The baker was hung. The cupbearer was restored uh, into power and they forgot him. The cupbearer didn't remember. It says in verse 23, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph and he forgot him. Have you ever been there before where you feel like nobody cares? Where you feel like you're always doing good and nobody does good back? Where you feel like you're taking advantage of where you feel like all of society, all of your family, all of the people that, that you try to serve have forgotten you? Have you ever been at the place where you think God's forgotten you? If we're honest. I mean, not only am I not, as, not completely like Jesus, I'm not even as good as Joseph. Because there are times that I say, God, where are you? That's why we need the word so much because he reminds us that he is there, that he is cares. That's why we have to be in it daily because these stories jump out and we say, yeah, he's there. That was hard. Yes, he worked. He'll work in my circumstance too. I must keep my trust in him. He was forgotten, but he never blamed God and he was honored by God because of it. Eventually, God brings him before the king and he's released from prison. The cupbearer 
Here's the king saying, I have this dream. It's troubling me. I, I, it's, it's weird. It just keeps coming. I need help with it. And people couldn't interpret it. it was, he killed some because they didn't get it right. This is a pretty tough guy to go before. And of all things, the cupbearer hears it and he says, hey, I know of a guy. He interpreted my dream and the baker's dream and it happened just like he said. And Pharaoh the king says, bring Joseph. Bring him here to talk to me. Now, okay, let's get real and think about, you know, we're just so used to this story, we just let that pass by. What king, what president, what person of great power, here's someone who's not very high up in his administration say, I know this guy in prison, and I, th- I think he got it right a couple times. You should talk to him. What king in their right mind is going to call on the guy from prison? Catch this principle, word of the day. When your hand is in the hand of God, when you're following him and trusting in him, it's not far from the prison to the palace. In just a moment, things don't make sense. Happen miraculously, he's before the king. In just a moment, something can happen for you. Stay faithful, stay true to God. Hold on to his hand even when you don't feel like it. Because he's real and he's got you and he's got purpose for your life. You say, I didn't sin, all the more to hang on because you know that he's not bringing pain upon you. He's no, you know he's not allowing this for any purpose, but there's something beyond that's gonna bring glory to his name. You have to believe that if you're going to do well in this journey called life. Genesis 41, 15, here he is, the prisoner, talking to the king. I had a dream, Pharaoh said to Joseph, and no one could interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph, look at the humble man of God. Easy to see why God will use him. You know, often men and women of God are used greatly of the Lord, but they wane later in life. And I think it's because, at least sometimes, it's because they start to begin, they they believe that they have such special gifts and such unique abilities that they're, Uh, it's easier for them than everybody else. And they forget where it all came from. If there's any wisdom, if there's any power of God flowing through a life to touch another, it's God doing it, not the person. Even the very gifts of that person to speak, to sing, whatever they may be, they're not responsible for that. It's true they can put their 10,000 hours in. It's true that they can study to show themselves approved. It's true that they can make it better and present themselves uh, to do their very best if they work hard. But it's also true that none of that is their own. Every bit of talent that you have naturally, business, wisdom, whatever it is, every bit of it was what God gave you. So God will use that, but then there comes this level when there's real humility that he'll go beyond what man can do with great manifestations of the spirit and wisdom that's beyond the wisdom of man. Look what Joseph says. I can't, I can't interpret your dream, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. I just, I just love that. It's, it's tender to me, but God. Not me, but God. Not me, but God. So in your pursuits of the dream, is it, is it not me, but God? Is there an understanding that if it's going to be great and it's going to have impact, it's him working through you? This guy had it and it brought him before the king. He interprets the, the dream and he's given great power. He tells him there's going to be a famine in the land for seven, seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. And then this prisoner who was locked away in the darkness of the dungeons 
says this with amazing wisdom that comes from God. This food, verse 36, should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt. So the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man? Now this is a king talking. One in whom is the spirit of God. Can I just tell you, I don't even know how he knew that because the spirit of God wasn't in Pharaoh. Sometimes God just opens any mouth he wants to to say what he wants to say. He can change the flow and the directions from the king's, the water that flows from the king's heart, the Bible says. And, and at any moment, and he, he, he just, God's speaking through Pharaoh to show him what it is. It's the spirit of God. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there's no one so discerning and wise as you. And let me tell you that the reason that they didn't, didn't give Joseph the credit there, since God has made this known, is because Joseph wouldn't take the credit. He set it up right away to say, no, I can't, but he can. And the king says, you'll be in charge of my palace. All my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Wow, only the king had more power in the most powerful nation in the world at the time, Egypt. Joseph essentially was made governor and he told them, do what this guy says and they all did it. He just got out of prison. That's in the eyes of man he just got out of prison but in the eyes of God, he'd been faithful since he was a teenager. He was faithful and didn't deny or curse God when they sold him into slavery. He was faithful to God when they lied to the, the, the world, lied and said that he had sexually uh, harmed someone. And violated someone. It wasn't true and he stayed faithful to God. God knew him everywhere. Remember this. Being known on this earth and being known in heaven are two different things. You want to be known in heaven more than you want to be known on earth in the end. Trust me. And this was a man who was completely faithful. And in God's perfect time, he went from the pit to the prison to the palace. God had purpose in it all along. Romans 8, 28 shows us this principle in the word as, and we know that God causes everything to work together for good. Now that's not saying that all the bad things are good, that bad things that happen are good. It's saying that he can take the bad thing and make it work for good. So what's the most terrible thing that's happened to you? God can take that bad thing and he can make something good of it. How can he do that? You know, I know a young lady who had four abortions. I only know because she told me that. And instead of carrying shame in her life, when she got into her early 20s, she listened to the Spirit of God, she followed God, and guess what she did with her life? She went to public junior highs and high schools talking about the pain of her abortion, talking about a way that was a better way. She'd go to youth groups and talk about how God had forgiven her and talk to young ladies about purity. You say, well, she doesn't deserve to stand up there. Listen, somebody who's been in a lot of pain can keep you from a lot of pain. And some of you, it's even worse. You were violated. It wasn't your own sin. Somebody else did it to you. But understand that though it was a bad thing, God can still bring good out of it. Take the stick that the enemy beat you with and beat him back with it. Show the grace of God. Show the love of God. Show the forgiveness. Show the peace that comes even though other people have wounded only God can do that. And remember that he's with you even as you go through hard times. In Joseph's case, he hadn't sinned. 
He was sold into slavery, but guess where he ended up? In Egypt, where he would soon be governor. Well, I shouldn't say soon, because it's 20 years from the time he was sold in slavery to the time he stood up in the palace with the king. 20 years. It's a long time. But he was faithful. But even in that first thing that seemed so terrible, he ended up right in the nation that God had for him in the future, where he would lead as governor and have great power and save the people. When he was sent to the prison, do you know that that was a terrible injustice? But he was right close to the king now. So close that some of the king's advisors got to talking to him. And lo and behold, because he got close to the king, that prison just under his palace, nearby, he was called for. Even in the prison, he was closer to the place that the Lord was going to bring him to. God used it. And then he stands before the king in the palace, and we find that God has in mind rescuing a nation. How in the world do you go from the pit and a prison to the rescue of a nation as God's advisor by being faithful? By, by enduring the darkness of the pit, enduring the darkness of slavery, enduring the darkness of the dungeon, the prison, and keeping your faith completely in God along the way. And God said, yep, he's one of my best. Been preparing him all his life. He loves me, he's ready. He'll speak for me, not for others, not for himself. He's tuned into me. How do you find light in the dungeon? You gotta be digging for God. How do you feel love when everybody else shows hate? You gotta be in communion with the heavenly father. And somehow along the way, he stayed there. And God blessed him. So when you have trouble, understand that God works through difficult circumstances. Understand that he builds lives, that he strengthens servants. Understand that the trouble doesn't mean he's against you. It may mean that he's chosen you for something special. God was never against Joseph. He was right there with him all along. If we're not careful, we'll blame God for the hard thing. This is where it goes astray. This is, this is the, 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 the beginning of the path to deep, dark discouragement and depression. God isn't for me. That's the beginning. And the enemy and his imps howl with glee when a believer starts to buy in. Got him. Got him. They're not trusting him anymore. Don't run away from God. Run towards him. Hang on to him. There's a movie in the, in the um, mid-70s, I think, called The End, and Burt Reynolds is the star. Anybody remember the movie The, the End? Just a couple of us old guys. <clears throat> Sorry, Mark, I lumped you in on that one. <laughs> in this movie, it's a comedy about him being so depressed that he wants to take his life. Somehow that worked for him, I don't know. Comedy about attempted suicide. But along the way, he's, he's despairing about life. He's thinking God's not with him and everything's working wrong and he just spirals downhill. And the end of the movie, he swims out into the ocean as far as he can until he's exhausted and he goes under trying to drown himself. He's trying to take his own life. And in those moments, he has flashbacks and he comes up gasping for air. And in those moments when he's almost gone and just about his life is over, He's just about taking his life. He realizes he wants to live. So he cries out, God, help me. 
I don't want to die. And he starts trying to swim back, but he's so tired, he can't make it. And he says, God, if you'll just help me. This is true. This is a script in the movie. If you'll just help me, if you'll help me to live and make it back to that beach, I will give you 100%. Everything I own, it's yours. And he gains a little more strength and he keeps swimming back and keeps going farther and farther and he's getting closer about halfway back and he cries out again, God, yeah, help me, save me. If you save me, I'll give you 50% of everything I own. It's, it'll be yours, I promise, God. It's yours, just help me. And he gets closer to shore and he, he tries to stand up and he can't, but he's getting close. He said, God, help me. If you help me, I will give you 10% of everything I own. And then he hits the shore. He crawls up there, he's exhausted. He lays down, he gets up and he says, God, you got some nerve asking for everything I got. And that's how the movie ended right there. Don't go through life that way. Don't go through life thinking God must not like you and you have to bargain with him. He loves you. Now I want to tell you, it all starts getting the, the best life possible. I'm talking about trials. You say, well, who wants to be a Christian if you have trials? You're going to have trials without Jesus too. I'm going to tell you, you're going to want him with you in life because it's a lot better to go with Jesus through the trial than without him because there's despair without him. But in Jesus, there's hope. There's a future. There's heaven. You've got all those promises that are yours and you cling to them and the spirit of God comes to strengthen you and help you beyond your own strength. Don't be like that frustrated man saying, God, where are you? Be like Joseph. Trust God. Trust that he's with you, that he'll rescue you over and over again. Since you're gonna have a lot of trials, you're going to have a lot of rescuing along the way, but he, he promises you he will rescue you, that he's there for you. If not here or there, in the air. We have the promise of heaven where there's no more pain, no more crying, no more tears. Proverbs 3, 5, I love this scripture. It says, trust the Lord with all your heart and don't depend on your own understanding. Remember the Lord in all you do and he will give you success. Our own understanding can get us in trouble. There's the wisdom of man and there's the wisdom of God. There's my reasoning and there's God's reasoning. God's smarter than I am. God's loving. So if I get in a trial and I start to move on my own understanding and say all the things that are against me and give God all the reasons why I can't have success, I'm just, I'm just cutting him out of the quotient. I'm not even saying the circumstances aren't bad. Let's say they're really bad. What I'm saying is when they're bad, trusting in him is a lot better than getting spiritually potty-mouthed. And all those negative things will come into our hearts and it'll get worse and not better. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding and always acknowledge him. That's what Joseph did. You know my definition for faith, right? Get going in the right direction towards God and it's right foot, left foot. Right foot, left foot, one step at a time. He's, he gives us the end goal sometimes, but he does not give us the next step. That's why faith is required. We can see where we're going, but we don't know the exact path to get there. But if you will trust him, he will keep you on the path. And it says he will direct you. He will give you success. Third thought now. First, we got the one big rescue. Second, understand, trials come, and he'll rescue you over and over again. That's the promise. Don't get discouraged when a trial comes. They're going to come. But trust in him and know he'll rescue you. 
And then third, he's rescued us so that we might rescue others. That's what happened in the life of Joseph. Acts 7, 9, these patriarchs were jealous about their brother Joseph and they sold him to be a slave in Egypt. So now the brothers come back. I'm jumping all over this story, but I had to get a lot of scripture in one sermon here. His brothers come back. They're starving in their nation. Their dad is dying. They don't have enough food, just like everybody else. They come into the presence of the governor to ask for help. They don't even recognize him. It's the own, their own brother that they sold into slavery. He heard, most likely from the pit, the discussion about taking his life. He talks to them, but then he runs out of the room and he weeps to see his brothers there when they don't recognize him. Can you imagine the fear that came into their hearts when they realized who he was? Verse 10 says, and, uh, but God was with Joseph in verse 10 and he rescued him from all his troubles and he gave him favor before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. God also gave Joseph unusual wisdom so that Pharaoh appointed him governor over all Egypt and put him in charge of the palace. So that's when his brothers come by and that... In that season when he's in power, in Genesis 50, verse 19, they, it shows that they're afraid and they think, oh no, please don't kill us. And here's what Joseph says. I'm talking about rescuing others. Joseph was rescued over and over again for the purpose of rescuing a nation and even rescuing his own family. God had something way bigger than he could think of. God has something in mind that's way bigger than you've thought of. And I don't mean necessarily visible under the lights. I mean something that'll change somebody's life forever and bring them to Jesus. He can use you that way. And the one is important to God. Joseph sees them in their fear and he says in verse 19, chapter 50 of Genesis, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is being done, what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph understands that all of the trials were for the purpose of saving lives that God built him up and brought him to power, built him up through the trials, gave him wisdom, showed him his love, brought him through, and now that wisdom was gonna be unleashed for the salvation of a nation and many lives. Joseph says, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. He reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Wow. Not only have we been rescued and we're rescued over and over again and the promise of God is there with us, but God rescues us for the purpose of rescuing others. He wants, that's part of our purpose in life. What's my purpose? Well, your purpose is to worship him. Your purpose is to follow him and to work with him. And the work of his kingdom is to bring people to him. That's why we're working together Sunday. You're giving that card to someone or you're you're inviting them because we're building his kingdom. We're getting the gospel out there. We're bringing to wounded hearts the truth that will set them free, that the love of God wants to wrap his arms around them and set them free and give them eternal life. I love the scripture in Romans 1.16, in the message version, it says this, it's news I'm most proud to proclaim this extraordinary message of God's powerful plan to rescue everyone who trusts him starting with Jews and then right on to everyone else. We're called to share the good news. Your dream, again, let me just remind you that your dream, if it's, if it's not about helping others or bringing them to Jesus, it's not of God. It might be a dream that's for you. It might be a dream you achieve. You might have a big house and nice car, but if it's not for eternal purposes, it's not his dream. His dream's always a kingdom dream. The dream that he put in you, the gifts that he put in you is a kingdom dream. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we need to trust him as we are on this journey. Follow him like this faithful man, 
Joseph, I want to tell you a story to end this sermon. <clears throat> when I was uh, about 15 years old, maybe 16, I lived in the great metropolis of Dallas, Oregon, a bedroom community to Salem. And uh, there was, in the summers, a farm nearby where there was a, a big pond. We called it Edgar's Pond because that was the farmer's name. And we'd gotten permission with some of my buddies to go out there and swim. He had a cool dock and some deep water and a nice spot to swim. That pond was not really a pond, it was a lake. It was about a mile long and about a half mile wide. And one day, I stood at the end of that little dock and looked all the way across that lake and thought, I bet I could swim that. So I thought, I'm just gonna do it. You know, I, I read an article in the last few years that said that young men often die this way. Women don't think, you see a river and think, yeah, I think I'll try to go across that, you know. Young men do for some reason, uh, just the way they're wired. Um, it's, it's often farther than they can understand and there's currents that can get them. Well, in this case, I'd swim, I'd, I'd swam 100 feet a thousand times before in my life. But I'd never done, you know, 100 feet a thousand times in succession. And I thought I was a good swimmer and I took off and I was okay for about a quarter mile and then I thought, boy, I gotta, I gotta loosen up. So I started going a little slower and trying to relax a little bit, tread water and go. And about a half mile in, I'm right in the middle of the lake and I realize oh my gosh, I'm in trouble. I look to the side and it's a quarter mile to either side. I'm so much in trouble, not only can I make, not make the half, I might not make the quarter mile. So I turn sideways and I start to move and with every stroke I was taking, I started to tighten up more and more. And I got to the point where I thought, oh my gosh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go under. I tried to keep my body moving and I, I, I couldn't keep my body above water and I went under a bit and in that moment, something came to my mind. It was something that my dad had taught me. He said, son, if you're ever in trouble and you feel like you're drowning, you can roll over on your back and you can float on your back. As a matter of fact, as a little guy, he taught me this. He rolled me over on my back, said, now just barely move your fingers. And he let me go and he said, just barely move your feet. And I realized I could stay up on my back. I'd never done that before, but in the moment I'm going under, I remembered it. And I was so weary, I, I, I rolled over and at first, when I rolled over, my head went under because I, I felt like I couldn't even do this. I was so tired. And with all I could muster, I did as much as I could and I arched my back and I, and I barely stayed above water. And I kept moving and kept moving and then eventually some of my strength was replenished and I turned over and I swam some and I'd get tired and I'd go on my back and I'd swim some more. I never thought I was gonna make it, but by the time, I remember looking back at my brother on that dock a half mile away trying to scream at him for help, but he couldn't hear me too far away. And I thought, I thought life was over. I wouldn't have gotten to meet Karen, no Aaron, no Candace. That's what could have happened if I, if I died that day and I was as close as I've ever been. I made it. When I hit that shore, I wasn't like Burt Reynolds in the end. I thank God that I was able to touch ground. I'm closing with that today because if you're in a trial, I want to tell you this. Listen to what your daddy says in the word. If you do what you know, you'll know what to do. Follow the word of God like Joseph did, even though it's not making any sense. Right foot, left foot, keep moving, and someday, out of the darkness will come a glorious light. And it won't be just once in your life, because there'll be several trials. But the light's gonna shine as we trust in him.